The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Welcome back. This is part two of our tradecraft analysis of Pine Gap. If you missed out on that, there's a simple solution. You might want to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you can always stay caught up with us. Dave, we covered, uh, you know, many subjects about the show in our last episode with the assistance of Mr. Francis Hammett, but there is some stuff we missed and some other stuff I want to talk about. I'm ready to go, so let's head back to Australia for this episode of Spies Like Us. So we're going to continue uh, just just with me and Dave uh, for a while because we still have other things we want to talk about about the show. Um, we've mentioned before, there's a, there's a lot going on here, a lot of different plots, uh, espionage plots, intelligence operations kind of layered over each other. Um, mm. You could start with like, what is like kind of the, I don't know, the day-to-day business, like the, I don't know, let's say the least exciting part of the show is, would be the most exciting part of, of a normal person's week. Um, Mm -hmm. and this is, uh, where we just, you know, we start out, we just kind of get to see what the A crew at Pine Gap, uh, like what they do. We talked about all the different jobs they have and, and how they're interrelated. Um, they, we see them do several operations, you know, like satellite tracking, missile tracking, location, uh, gathering of intelligence over just all kinds of signals. Um, I thought maybe we could talk, uh, just about like our favorite parts of the first operation we see them do, which is, uh, what's that? That's, well, that's really just them observing the, uh, shooting down of a commercial plane by a vampire missile, um, vampire missile. Apparently that's just jargon for any hostile guided missile. It's not a particular like type or anything like that. The big uh, scary part about this missile is uh, it's, well, wait, no, this is, no, that's a separate one. It's a later one that is possibly in range to hit the president of the United States and the Australian prime minister. Uh, Well, I think this aircraft uh, hit is what led the investigation to find out where these might have come from. And that's when they found that guy that had like three missiles or four missiles uh, in a back of a truck, and that's when uh, Gus decided to take the shot and take him out because that those missiles were in range of POTUS and the PM. Right, right, and that that comes later. Um, but uh, but this first one, do you want to? Did you? Uh, I don't know. Did you like this part of the show? Did you like watching these people at work? Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. Uh, the that uh, hit on the civilian aircraft is actually what kind of sets the story in emotion and the bigger story behind the event kind of unfolds over the next four or five or six episodes. Um, But they took this as an opportunity to kind of set the tone and the atmosphere of, I guess, the floor where uh, all the different, um, I guess, uh, intelligence gathering professionals are, putting the pieces together to make the decisions. So it was, it was cool to kind of watch them work, it, which is, which is what this scene was for was really just to set, set an atmosphere and a tone and then like trigger, trigger the, the suspense that goes on for like the rest of the series. 
Right. Some things I liked about it. I liked the fact that the satellite was able to pick up a video signal from the missile um, so they could see what the missile could see. It couldn't see what was around it, but, uh, you know, like right. kind of like a forward mounted camera. That was interesting. In the follow up, obviously, like I think as soon as they get as soon as the missile shows up on their radar, so to speak, uh, comment is is definitely like furiously like listening in, trying to listen into all the uh, comment traffic and trying to figure out like who's talking, who's 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 saying anything about, you know, shoot the plane now or something like that. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, they're they're also uh, having her, that's Yasmina, do the same thing in the follow-up investigation as they're trying to figure out who fired the missile and why. Later in the series, too, just, uh, um, you know, following up on comment, um, I like that uh, someone suggested, you know, there's a certain text message that they're trying to figure out who sent it. And the suggestion is to get a comment expert analyze the text message and to maybe find someone that knows the people, uh, you know, that are that are under suspicion well enough to get something from the text, just from like the way they spelled tomorrow, which uh, in the text is is spelled like two m o r o. Do you know anybody that spells tomorrow like that, or maybe even just the way they use a colon? Do you remember that's uh, how they got Kaczynski? Yeah. Well, the brother turned him in, uh, but yeah, the the manifesto was published by the newspapers specifically because they couldn't find Kaczynski whatsoever. And they were figuring if they published the manifesto, somebody somewhere is going to spot something. And when the wife convinced the brother to read the manifesto and he read it, like his jaw dropped and was like, yeah, this is my brother. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's that we have all these like idiosyncrasies in our language you know, each one of us has like our own personal language, the way we say things, especially when we write or type things, just the way we put things out that all kinds of weird linguists or professional linguists and uh, language experts would pick up on. Yeah. So I like to give plus spy points to that. Uh, little minus spy points, though. Um, you know, when that, that suggestion is made, someone says, well, uh you know, that's a problem because our best comment is Yasmina and she's also on the suspicion list. First of all, um, she is has only just been there for a few weeks. So uh, I'm not sure it super makes sense that she's, you know, the best. Um, maybe she's been doing this job for a long time, but, you know, she just recently got promoted to Pine Gap. And uh, second, you know, hey, okay, yeah, so you don't have the best, even if she is the best, uh, just maybe find the second best. She's not the only comment person you have on the base, I assume. Right. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot I like about the, you know, I mean, it's all, a lot of it, a lot of it is just kind of jargony stuff and stuff you see on screens. So you just kind of nod and say, well, that looks realistic, sounds realistic. Um, but some of it really does resonate with stuff that I've heard or read. Um, I wanted to key on in on my personal favorite, which is, where they uh, Moses is going back through the records and finding like a similar a launch of a missile of a similar type in the air in the same area from 17 months ago, mm-hmm. and then that prompts Gus to have comment 
go back through the comment logs from that time period. And, you know, what I just really like, like about this is, uh, you know, me being like, for instance, kind of from, well, no, definitely from a quality assurance background. And, you know, that's a, that's also an investigative kind of, um, kind of discipline. And, you know, we keep all these reports, you know, we write daily reports on what was observed in the software, you know, have those as, as a resource so that when something, you know, an anomalous event occurs, you know, that's of really high concern, we have a vast amount of data that we can go back through in terms of like our bug database and also our lead tester reports that we can try to correlate it uh, with similar stuff. So uh, kudos to them for, you know, displaying some, some smart analysis type of stuff. Uh, actually going back through that old data, it's going to make my best number three tradecraft for the series. It's definitely a pretty good one. I, I really appreciated all of the detail they put into like everybody's job. Um, and especially, uh, you know, I think they use some facial recognition um, in spotting uh, some of them. And uh, what I liked is they were talking about uh, percentage matches rather than like, yeah, that's our guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really is like a nice prelude to the counterintelligence uh, that we were talking about with Francis, where, uh, you know, even if things look like it's what you're looking for, it might not. So, you know, being careful to, you know, go through the process, eliminate all of your personal filters and just, you know, it, it, I, I think the show did a really good job of that. Yeah, I hope I hope that the, that the accuracy of uh, satellite-based facial recognition is significantly less advanced than what we see in this show. It's true that uh, China claims claims that they can um, they can ID someone in thirty seconds flat, get a positive ID from satellite, like uh, from the moment you walk out of your house. Uh, which could be propaganda because it's definitely like, even if it wasn't true, it's definitely in their interest to have their population believe that it's true. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I guess the highest accuracy we see in the show, they get an 85% match on a guy within like, I don't know, five seconds, uh, which I, I really hope that's impossible. I really do. Right. Um, <laughs> Even if, uh, you know, like something, something I would believe is like, maybe like if you have the image and, and you run it through like a heavy duty computer for like three hours, maybe it can come back and, and kind of give you a, I don't know, 50%, <laughs> but 85% in five seconds. I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know. I just, it would, yeah. it, would it, it would terrify me. Um, I understand it's a TV show. You've got certain amount of budget. Um, we only ever see a crew uh, in the show, uh, which means that basically when they go home at night, like nothing happens. It's like nobody's working on, on the case, but actually there are, uh, it's referenced in the show. There are three other shifts. And so what we should be seeing in a more realistic uh, show with a bigger budget uh, would be, you know, they come in the morning and conference with 
the leaders of the other three teams checked through their reports. What did you guys find overnight? Right. Yeah. Presumably it's not just one shift doing all the work on one case. Uh, presumably the other shifts are like up to speed on what's current and what's, uh, I guess, critical for, for that time period, I guess. Yeah. Um, now, we're going to find out the plane was shot down to uh, keep hush-hush on some talks that are going on between Australia and China that they don't want the U.S. to know about. Basically, a journalist had discovered something that uh, would severely damage the relationship between the U.S. and Australia, which is basically that China's uh, negotiations uh, in trade also involved a treaty of neutrality if anything happened between China and the U.S., uh, just to make things much more exacerbated, considering that uh, during our Pine Gap uh, scenes, there's an active conflict going on between, well, I guess not conflict, but uh, some close calls where they're taking shots at each other and, you know, drawing lines and, uh, you know, you did this, so we're going to do that. And they're on the brink of a war. Um, and so we discover later that it was Australia that probably, or someone uh, in somewhere in place in the Australian government made the call to take out the plane so that it wouldn't damage their relationship with the U.S., um, uh, which m- makes for the 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 story to be even more uh, on your seat because every little second counts. And um, the interaction between Hath and Ethan, um, and Ethan's the kind of U.S. head honcho on Pine Gap, um, you know, they're both withholding information from each other because they're from different countries and, you know, uh, different security clearances from their government agencies. And, so there's kind of like a nice relationship between them where they have to decide how long they're just going to start holding secrets or if they're going to start working together. Um, I thought it was really well played out. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so Aces freaks out and, uh, you know, I mean, we don't, we don't, you know, a lot of this stuff, we just kind of see partial information, but as we'll find out later or be able to figure out later, Aces freaks out about this and they want Gus taken off of the floor or at least out of the mission director um, chair because they don't want him to find out who fired the missile. Um, Ethan doesn't like that, of course. Right. He's, he's <laughs> and neither does Gus. Right, right, right. Uh, but later there's a, there's a, the, the part where um, the uh, Gus calls in the drone strike to stop the missile that they think potentially could be aimed at the prime minister and the president. Uh, even though I agree, Ethan agrees. I, I think you do as well, that it's the right call. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a hundred percent sure it's the right call, especially cause uh, you know uh, you get the confirmation from a comment, you know, she says like, there's, there's a huge spike about talking about like the security uh, yeah. you know, around the, the talks, <laughs> like right as that missile's being fired, 
um, yeah, he definitely makes the good call. But because it's maybe looks fishy internationally, mm-hmm. um, it gives her like the extra ammunition to go ahead and force Gus, not entirely off the floor, but out of the mission director chair. Plus five points for that. Yeah, it was really a good kind of cover. Uh, even though everybody was like, what the fuck? He made the right decision uh, just because of the sensitivity, I guess, diplomatically and politically. It, it really, uh, yeah, it really, it really helped uh, provide the decoy for bringing in um, a replacement who would be more involved uh, and uh, supporting Australians' interests um, in the China talks. Right. And the replacement they bring in is Kath's husband, who it's never it's never made entirely clear to me how fully read in he is on like why he's being brought in. You know, I mean, if if the mm, I mean, if job number one is to make sure this investigation of the shooting down of the plane doesn't go anywhere, uh, letting him know might be a good idea. There was some point in the show where Kath says kind of dismissively to him, like, like, you're just a guy who has a friend in a- uh, ACO, which is like the mm-hmm. FBI. Um, but he was Asus's direct pick for the job. And later in the show, he claims to Kath, uh, you know, when he find, they definitely don't let him in on the werewolf game. They don't let him in on the fact that there's also a traitor in the mix and a computer virus. And he gets really pissed off that they didn't tell him about that. Um, but then this all... was like the best part, I think storytelling wise mm-hmm. too, because there's like several layers. Um, and I think that's what really drove the suspense of the, the whole story. Um, not only do you have uh, the head bumping between us and Australia in Pine Gap, um, you also have the American China relations, uh, you know, you know, overseas going on political, like on the geopolitical spectrum or stage. And uh, on top of that, there's a mole, there's a leak. So we're watching like several different stories going on on top of the, 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 the natives of the area by Pine Gap. They, they have their interests that they're looking out for in trying to get this big, you know, deal with China for, uh, oil, uh, going on. It, it was, it was really, really well executed because there's a lot going on and, and it's not confusing to keep track of. Like they definitely did a good job of helping you follow along with the story. Yeah. Like, um, at no point, like at no point was I really confused at all. That's, and I, I liked the show. Uh, for that reason, sometimes, like, especially something this complicated, like in some movies, I can get lost pretty easily. But in this one, right. I always felt like I really, like I knew what I knew, and I knew what I didn't know. Right. You know, you know? Absolutely. I, they, they, they definitely did a great job of uh, not confusing the audience, but still having like a bit of a mystery to where like, well, who did it? You know, who, who's the leak? Right. right. And what is, what does one thing have to do with the other? You know, like what does the virus have anything to do with the missile? Does the, uh, 
you know, does the fact that there's a trader have anything to do with the fact that the Chinese are trying to do a land development deal? Um, you know, like, uh, you have all these, uh, different games being played and you're wondering like, which, which ones are going to link up to each other in which ways. Um, pretty cool. Like in a movie, like really like any one of these plots could have been the whole story. Yeah. But that's the benefit of having a nice, nice six, six episode thing too. And you know what? I appreciated that it was six episodes as well, because I kind of wanted, I did like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have liked this as like a pure ongoing series, like full season of television, because then I would have felt like, okay, they're just going to keep throwing stuff at me and constantly confusing me and, and new weird stuff is going to happen. At six, knowing that, you know, it, the conclusion is six episodes away made me feel comfortable that, like, I can keep up with this. I can figure this out. On top of the Australian-Chinese missile plot kind of stuff going on, we do have, like, this extra wrinkle, you know, like, it's always, like, like piling on, you know, it gets worse. Um, <laughs> When Moses figures out that uh, somebody's planted a virus in the Pine Gap computer systems. And he first got clued onto that by noticing that the, the virus went in and tested its capabilities by lowering the temperature by fucking with the thermostat. Which I think is minus five points for the virus. What do you think? Well, it had to do something uh, to see if it would get noticed or not. And I guess... There's some internal or like automatic, like, uh, you know, firewall alerts. And I guess that's what it was looking for. It didn't think that there'd be like, you know, a, a super uh, human uh, Moses type that right. would, would, would like spot like, like this slight change in temperature, you know, because uh, it wasn't like a big, it wasn't like a big change. It was just kind of a slight change. And so it, I, I guess it's kind of minus five points for doing anything, but I guess it was just testing the perimeter. Yeah, it seems like an unnecessary risk to me. It's like uh, if you get into the bank vault, you don't first test to see if you can take $10 out of there. Right. You, know, <laughs> you, you grab the money and run. Right. <laughs> now, Pine Gap is air-gapped, of course. Uh, so it has to be... That's, I mean, that's how you know for sure that it has to be like an inside job. A human being has to plug in a USB or something uh, or maybe use, uh, well, I guess, no, if it's air gapped, you wouldn't be able to communicate to it with a cell phone, even though um, later though, later though, someone does, right? Isn't it, isn't, aren't we led to believe that someone downloaded uh, what the virus uploaded using a cell phone. Right. If they really... had to be within like so many yards and it, it was LOEs that were told at the end. Um, and uh, I, th I think you were kind of concerned, like why is anybody using cell phones or like, why not just block the signal and not have any cell towers? Oh um, yeah. That's yeah. That's my number one thing. Like, cause okay. Like, first of all, yeah, nobody should have a cell phone anywhere near the pine gap. Like, they should be collecting them uh, before they get on the bus, you know, that long bus ride that they have to take from town. Right. Um, but 
you made the the point well someone could smuggle one in uh over time familiarity leads to maybe more lax security uh mm. than otherwise but then my solution to that is just don't have any cell phone towers anywhere near here well there would have been the neighboring cities presumably right yeah and... but it feels like that's a pretty long bus ride that they take from the town that's like, true it feels like the place is isolated enough i feel that uh yeah you could just you could just say no no cell phone towers um i can't be sure if that's a an oversight on the script or not i mean there's certain things that if i quibble about like it makes it much 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 more difficult for them to tell this story uh yeah. so you know maybe they're taking a shortcut or two they find when they find out about the virus now ethan briefs langley of course but he doesn't tell Kath that he does that. And Langley agrees that they're, they'll keep it quiet and let him handle it. Um, that feels a little fishy to me. Uh, in fact, like, I, I, feel like, I feel like it's maybe minus five points that they try to do everything in-house. I feel like finding out about the virus, like, you just pull out all the stops and pull everyone that you know, is on their suspect suspect list, like off the floor, like pronto. I feel like the virus, I mean, the reason I guess that you play it quiet and play it in house is because you're like, well, uh, we don't want the traitor to know that we're onto him. We don't want the werewolf to know that, uh, you know, we even suspect there is a werewolf. Right. Then they'll cover their tracks. I personally just think the virus feels to me like such an amazingly imminent and massively problematic threat that it's it overshadows uh taking a risk on not being able to find the traitor i think you yank everybody out and fucking just go full i don't know full nuclear on the on the on the interrogation well that was uh kath's husband's idea just fire everyone like uh, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the right move because uh, they were able to narrow it down to six people, like in all certainty, it has to be one of these six people. And if you just remove the virus, it alerts, you know, whoever planted the virus that the virus has been found and now you lose the leak and the leak is still working. So I think I think Kath's husband was like, yeah, just get rid of everybody transfer them or fire them or whatever. But um, now you have a potential leak, you know, off somewhere else and you still have no idea who it is and they could do more damage. I I think a person could probably do more damage than, uh, you know, a virus like that could. And that's why it was time sensitive. When uh, Ethan meets with uh, the woman from Langley, um, like, I think they only have a week to figure it out or they're just going to eliminate the virus. Oh, that, did she give him? Did she give him a period of time? Yeah, because they were like, we have like towards the end of the series, they're like, oh, we got one day left. You know, and of course, it's at the like last minute that they you know figure everything out. Uh, you know, like a typical thriller. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think there was an ultimatum: you got to get it done by this time, or we're just gonna you know pull it out and you know, deal with it then. How about this? Um, Ethan sets up a system 
to identify who's using the collections room terminal with the malware because that's how they that's how they narrowed down their list of suspects. They know uh, where and how it was uploaded. It was a modified video card, mm-hmm. um, which is some people mentioned on Reddit could point to someone with imminent experience. Right. Um, and I genuinely love Moses. Which re- would be Eloise, right? Uh-huh. She was imminent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I genuinely loved, not, not so much, <laughs> I mean, I liked Ethan's idea of like, well, wait, wouldn't there be a system restore backup point uh, for when the video card was installed? And I liked that, but I, what I loved was Moses' reaction. He was just like, I salute you, sir. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was cool. Um, but he sets, Ethan sets up a system to identify, uh, wait, do I have this right? Uh, he, he can identify if someone is, I guess, interacting with the virus software, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to track that usage, he like he sets it up so that that uh, signal will just go to a tablet that he's got, um, which didn't make sense to me. Like, because uh, that gives them the limitation. I mean, it, it gives us a story limitation that makes sense. That like someone's gonna have to be with the tablet at all times uh, to track the usage, um, and that's gonna be either him. Or Kath or Rudy. Rudy's the guy that we think is CIA, and uh, Ethan would be probably NSA or NRO. Um, I'm gonna go with that as my number three worst tradecraft. Uh, I think it was just done for plot reasons. I don't think there's any reason you can't just uh, have that, you know, set it up so that it just sends you an email. Yeah, that or someone would have to have some kind of login, right? That was kind of confusing too. Like, how come? Usually, like systems like this that are set up, everyone has their own login and their own password that only they know. So that when you log in, you're the only one that. Well, I guess maybe through the hardware they could skip through that. I don't know, but yeah, it's another. It's, it's another hole in the idea that Pine Gap is truly air gapped as well. Like I mentioned before, someone seems to have interacted with the virus software using a cell phone. Here, uh, Ethan's flashing around a tablet that he says, you know, the, the computer will notify me through here. Well, the computer's just not supposed to have, like, there's not supposed to be any modems or any uh, Bluetooth wireless connections, like, installed at all. That's what that's what AirGapped means. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess they could have, as far as the cell phone thing, I mean, I guess potentially a, a very uh, sophisticated trader could install a Bluetooth transmitter, I guess, as part of their chicanery. And then it was also weird that, like, when the virus did kick in, uh, that it uploaded this particular file. The file it uploads is the one where of the, like, basically the... Um, I don't know. The mission room ceased. It's pretty much the audio of the floor uh, when Gus made the call to take out that one guy that had the missiles that was in range of the of POTUS and the Prime Minister. So it kind of made things look bad that, oh, America's just taking out targets or whatever. 
and that leak kind of damaged some things. Um, but I mean, what just happened to be that video? We're given to believe because you know uh, Moses, you know he gets there and it, we're, it looks like the virus is trying to upload like a lot more information than just that. But that's yeah. The- it tries to upload everything, and then Moses gets in to stop everything. Right. And just one file slips through, and it happens to be that file. And the fact that it just happens to be that file doesn't seem to make sense from just a strictly, you know, spy points analysis kind of thing. Even though obviously it fits very nicely with the story, so we'll give it a little minus spy points for that. Bigger fish than that, personally. That file that audio file does get leaked to the press. This is my number two worst tradecraft. I don't think that leak in and of itself is valuable enough to threaten the ignorance of Pine Gap staff about the existence of the virus. I mean, I mean, I guess they could, hmm. Once, once they see that go live on television, they know someone got it out somehow. Uh, I guess right. it wouldn't. In, it, it, I guess it wouldn't necessarily clue them in that there's a virus, but just cluing them in that there's any kind of leak. When you right. when you imagine the amount of intel that you could get from this fucking virus, <laughs> right? Uh, that like it's so valuable. Like you wouldn't leak anything. I think maybe I'm going to switch my number two and my number one worst. I think this is because I feel more confident about this one. Well, that's why they threw Eloise under the bus, I think. Because now, if if they still think Pine Gap is unaware of the virus and the leak being Eloise is identified, you know, they might just think she's the leak and there is no virus. Like, you're right. Presumably, they would run an investigation and figure out how she got it out, and that would clue them into the virus. The funny thing is, you got to remember that the Chinese, like we as the audience, know that the Pine Gap staff is alert to the existence of the virus, but the Chinese don't have any reason to know that. Right. So, as far as they're concerned, like the virus is completely safe. I don't know. I don't think. I'm not sure. Okay, so I guess I guess we're going to the to the ending part. You know, you said, you know, throw Eloise under the bus. Um, I. I finally came to the conclusion. I think that the ending of the show is actually vague. I still think, I still think it could, it, I think it could have been Eloise and I think it could have been someone else. If it's, if it's not Eloise, then yeah, it's the Chinese thinking like it would be good for Pine Gap to think that she got this bit of footage out to them still. And and it goes back to my thing about like this, it's just not valuable enough. It's just not valuable enough even to, to burn an asset or even to, you know, throw, throw a, a, whatchamacallit, um, a patsy in there. Well, I mean, I went back and looked at the cafeteria scene and there is a like nanosecond shot of Eloise in front of the microwave. Um, so I, I think the show wants to c- confirm that it's her, but uh, I think what you're saying is why even alert Pine Gap that there is a leak over something like that video? Because um, I'm not sure what they, I, I mean, I get it that the video does 
it's a it's a little it's a blemish on Americans' reputation. Um, right. It is. It is evidence, possibly, you know, or at least some people take it as evidence that the Americans and the Australians aren't necessarily seeing eye to eye on everything. Because part of the video is you hear an Australian intelligence operation person saying, we don't have enough information to do this. And you hear the American guy say, well, I'm doing it anyway. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, really... They did a good job. Remember the movie Clue, where there were like there were like three alternate endings, mm-hmm. and well, of course you do. You love that movie, right? Yeah, it's like one of my favorite movies. Cool. Um, and I feel like Pine Gap also could have had like multiple, like at by the end of the, even when you get to the last, you know, few minutes of of episode six. I feel like you could have thrown in several different endings. All of them could have fit the facts of what we saw. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the show never directly confirms uh, Eloise's guilt or ignorance. Although, I mean, there's definitely clues. I mean, one of the big ones to me is uh, when Moses is complimenting the genius of like whoever installed this virus, like I never would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. She she really like kind of gushes, or you know, like she just says that's amazing, like that's you know that's incredible, and she just like kind of looks like she's breaking cover a little bit in in just how like pleased with herself uh, she feels, and like you and Francis had said, you guys are seeing uh, a, a romantic uh, longing for Moses's. Uh, approval in her and so hearing him say that and watching her reaction i mean it's like it's like circumstantial it's it's we don't i don't think we get anything damning Uh um but everything would make sense i still think you could come back like you know like if you were gonna do season two of pine gap like keep that keep that wound open you know keep keep the audience guessing you know bring keep keep eloise as a character in custody, uh, continually continue to develop the other characters, and and just keep keep that ball in the air. Was it really Louise? I mean, yeah, it could have been, or maybe not. Let's look at this too. Let's hear your thoughts on on the werewolf game. This is uh, once you know it, traitor is in your midst. Uh, well, it's it's sort of it's interesting because it is a werewolf game, but the werewolf in this case has no reason to believe, at least that we know of, that they're being targeted. Right. Uh, they, they think everything's looking good. Other than, I think there's a couple shots, like after the second and third time that I watched it, that Eloise might be concerned that Moses has figured something out based on his behaviors, which is why I think she ends up throwing so much shade on him. Like it could be that she's into him and then she gets like jealous and then just throws shade on him. Or it could be that she might've picked up on some things from some of the shots previously. And is like, who's an easy target to kind of throw this on. Um, And I actually marked that as my number three best trade craft was how Eloise really threw a lot of shade on Moses. She, she came to Rudy who's actually running the investigation. And I wanted to point out Rudy's counterintelligence game as my number two best tradecraft, uh, mainly because 
you know, I think we discussed this with Francis, uh, you know, how he just goes through the process. Every single candidate for who the leak is, uh, is very believable. They're, they all have a motive. Um, it all kind of fits uh, in the way that they set it up as far as motives go and what they did and where they were. Um, and so I liked how Rudy, even though that he kind of guessed Eloise from the start, he still went through the process to uh, make sure that it wasn't just some random, you know, thought or belief that he had about himself. And he kind of eliminated his identity and his filters, you know, and his ego and just walked through the process again and made sure to collect evidence to show one way or another. And, you know, in an investigation, it's all about eliminating suspects. And that's pretty much a lot of the process he went through. So uh, that's why uh, those made my number two and my number three best trade craft was just Eloise's werewolf game and throwing shade on Moses. And then Rudy's, uh, I guess, uh, you know, counterintelligence game and trying to identify the leak. Yeah. He's got a very difficult decision to make when uh, he's tasked by Ethan to find out who were the people, you know, who should be on the suspect list, because based on the information they have, Rudy should be on that list along with right. the other people. Um, he has to make a, a, a really tough call there because he knows that he is the, has more experience in, well, obviously he says to himself, well, I'm not the mole. Um, (laughs) and if I put myself on this list, they're going to take me, they're going to have to consider me a suspect and they're not going to clue me in on the investigation. The problem with this is I am the best equipped and have the most experience in running this kind of investigation. So he conceals that information, Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was interesting to, uh, uh, consider as, you know, loving talking about the werewolf game. You have that, uh, character, the seer in werewolf Mm -hmm. games that can, um, you know, kind of every night confirm or deny, like they have, they have an enhanced power of werewolf detection. The most important thing that the seer must do in a werewolf game is not fall under suspicion of being a werewolf, like, or, or not let the werewolves have any idea. Also not let the werewolves have any idea that they, you know, are that valuable of a piece. I just, I just kind of like the analogy, like Rudy, it's, it's, it is important. It was the right call for him for sure. Right. To keep himself off the list. Um, yeah. Well, I, sure. I like the werewolf analogies. And when we talk about these movies, because a lot of it fits, cause there's a lot of uncertainty and you're trying to identify certain pieces of information or certain leaks or something like that. So I think it works well. And I think you pointing out that he's, kind of like the seer role is great especially like for anybody that's played werewolf the seer always looks like a werewolf so like really veteran seers know how to not look like that and get lynched the the first night or something i did notice too though uh you know again i just think it's something they kind of forgot and and it wasn't even that important to the to the to the story that yasmina just showed up a few weeks ago um But there were some problems with that, one of which I thought, including that I thought just that fact should have made her, like, just be bumped up to the top of the list, right? Uh-huh. The virus showed up a couple weeks ago. She showed up a couple weeks ago. 
I think it's minus five points that nobody even mentions like that, you know, as a as a connection that they should be focusing on. Well, hey, Rudy did point out how easy it was her to climb the ranks. It was almost like she was like groomed to get to get into intelligence, and considering her childhood, uh, I think her parents were killed in a conflict, so her motive would have been like more ideological. And since she's kind of been working towards this goal pretty much her entire life, uh, it put her suspect. But yeah, I don't think she was as big of a priority as she should have been, like you pointed out. But the counter to that is that a very smart werewolf uh, could have, and I think totally would have used that as an opportunity to plant the virus because it would make Yasmina a prime suspect. Like uh, you might've been sitting there like waiting with the virus, like ready to go and just, but you know, it would be really smart to wait until a new person has transferred into the facility and plant the virus around that time because that is just an extra layer of protection. And um, yeah, that's definitely plus five points for me. Even though they don't say that's what happened, it fits the facts sufficiently to me to, to give it some points. Right. Uh, we, we did talk about how well the show kind of made it believable that it could have been any one of the six. Uh, and by the way, that guy that had the kids in the private school, his name was Simon. Right. Um, and the reason why is because I'm reading our notes. My number three was Tradecraft. Uh, as far as Red Herring's going, I discussed this a little bit, but why he sold the video of uh, the American president saying terrible things about the prime minister, I don't know how he would think he wouldn't get caught. You're working in one of these top-notch you know, uh, facilities where they're listening in on communications and signals and using satellites, and they can pretty much see everything, and somehow he thinks he's going to get away with it. And then he shows up and he's like giving people muffins when the show already established. He doesn't buy people coffee. He brings lunch to work every day. You know what I mean? It it wasn't. It was like the worst decision he could have made, uh, which is what really eliminated him as a suspect for being the leak for me. Um, I, I guess on the surface, if you're not really paying attention and you just kind of along for the ride, you'd be like, "Oh, it's got to be him. He's the one." Uh, but just the fact that he was so like lackluster about everything after. Uh, breaking a severe rule that he was very well aware of and just was like, oh, I'm sorry, I just needed the money. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, yeah, I, I'm definitely marking that as my number three worst trade craft. I don't know why it's only coming into my head right now, but is there a reason that that doesn't just immediately make him suspect number fucking one on being the person that planted the virus? Like, well, that's why they pulled him in and interrogated him after they discovered it was him that sent the video. Uh, but from the questioning, they were able to determine that, you know, this was like a separate situation, which is another thing I really, really liked about the show. Like, it's like, you know, I think, you know, in a typical movie, it would have been like, it's you. And we would have gone on some other storyline. It must be you. If you would sell this video, then you were probably the leak. Haha, we got him, you know. Uh, but you know, from, from their questioning and his responses, they were able to determine like, no, he's just kind of like a bungling idiot that 
seemed to think that he was better than the systems that were in place and made like a really big mistake. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, I, th- I think that's why they brought him in immediately. And that was their main concern, which they didn't let him. What I really liked about that interrogation was they didn't even let him know that there was a leak. They didn't let him know until like the last episode when they needed him to help identify who sent the text. Oh, and even then, right. And even then, I don't think they tell him anything that they don't need to. Right. They're very careful about how much information they let out about the investigation, which major plus spy points. So looming in the background of the entire show, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, we've got the on the floor activities. We've got the normal. I, 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 uh, I don't know what else to call them except the day-to-day operations of Pine Gap, even though right. like the day-to-day <laughs> stuff is definitely like off the scale. But like layered on top of this, you've got this Australian-Chinese conspiracy. Layered on top of that, you've got a traitor inside that's planted a very dangerous vi- virus. Just kind of haunting the show in the background is the Chinese land deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the very last scene of the show is Chinese guy, you know, winking, practically fist bumping Emmy. Right. right. Who's the uh, (laughs) uh, native girl who definitely wanted the Chinese deal to go through. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, she's, she would really like to see the Americans go out. Uh, She's, she's fairly, fairly. well, she's not necessarily politically anti-American. She's anti Americans being on our fucking land. Well, I think she's completely against Pine Gap to begin with. Um, and I think there was a line from her when the dad was like, it's not all about money. And she was like, well, at least China's offering to pay versus Pine Gap just like, you know, showed up and took over the land. Um, yeah, like you're definitely right. They definitely built her up as like a very uh, angry character, um, but putting on the happy mask of, yeah. I'll take you out for a tour and teach you about culture and stuff. Again, you know, I have to say, I don't think the leak, I I question the value of the leak (laughs) to anyone really. Um, But if you are going to leak it and, and cover your tracks, uh, I do think my number one best trade craft and it's really good is to route the leak through someone that can be found that's not an intelligence operative that doesn't have uh, at least discernible uh, Chinese political motivations uh, to have made the leak, you know, like, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm a CIA guy. I've got some information. I want it leaked to the press instead of me leaking it to the press. Well, I could give it to some random stranger on the street and have him leak it to the press. But when the investigation finds that random stranger, they're going to be super suspicious. Well, what if I don't find a random stranger? I find someone else that has an entirely different motive for the leak that is uh, not only not traceable or connectable to me, but also like dead ends the investigation because it makes sense and it's not Mm -hmm. illegal for them to do it. Right. That's my number one best. Even though, like I say, like the leak, it's, it's weird. Um, why, what does Emmy think she's getting out of this? 
I don't also I also don't see how the leak uh, helps seal the deal, but I think that's what the show is implying. Um, but and that really bothered me to the point where I thought about it hard enough that at least I finally realized it's not it's not a hundred percent important for logical consistency that the leak actually sealed the deal. It's only important for Chinese guy for Emmy to believe that it would seal the deal in order to get her cooperation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Did you follow me on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think this is why it would have been great to get a season two, especially with that little wink at the end. Cause we actually get to see how much Emmy's involved. And if she's given a smirk like that, I think she might be more involved just from a basic film storytelling wise than just like a hapless individual, uh, even though that's kind of how she played getting the video and publishing it. Um, but no, you're right. I, I like the distance being created between China and the leak through Emi. And she's probably being used by Chinese, uh, uh, you know, and he, he's a great character too, because you know, he's he's kind of like on the surface putting on this, like, I'm just a businessman. I'm just a technicals guy. But, you know, it's just like there's all these like looming moments with him that kind of like build up towards his end shot with Emmy that like imply that, you know, he's he's behind a lot of this, um, especially with like the seduction of Ethan's wife. Uh, and Ethan's the honcho of the U.S. side of Pine Gap. Um, which I wanted to mark, you know, we didn't really get to talk too much about him, but I wanted to mark it as my number one best tradecraft was uh, Jalen uh, seducing Ethan's wife. Uh, and I also wanted to mark it as my number one worst tradecraft, tradecraft that Ethan was completely ignoring his wife because that would be the first place I would try and go if I'm trying to break through a very secure area um, that's pretty much impenetrable. I'd be you know, looking for like a lonely wife that's not happy with where they're living and uh, is just kind of by herself. I mean, I don't know if I personally could pull it off, uh, but, you know, that that would, uh, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of like penetration 101 is like looking for those weak links and the the show really, really like played that up well. Yeah. Um, so that's that's another reason why I wanted a season two because I wanted, I wanted to see like the – the fruits of that labor get pulled and we didn't get to see that in this season. The show's really good at giving characters plausible deniability on their actions. Um, right. Which it, I mean, that's the story working in their behalf, but it's also, you know, the characters being smart. Um, whereas like we never, we never get, I mean, we just, it's at the end, like it's still all like circumstantial, but it does paint a compelling picture. But we never got like, de facto proof that he's like that he's working with Chinese intelligence. Well, I guess he has to be because he wants that file out and you know, the file has to have been given to him by whoever probably. Right. Right. Not a hundred percent sure. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. I uh, really, really enjoyed it. Um, we actually watched this because uh, we were planning on bringing Francis on as a guest and he recommended it. And I had never heard of it. Um, 
but uh, as soon as I started watching, I was just kind of pulled in uh, from the moment it started. In fact, I binged it immediately and finished all six episodes back to back. So I think I'm going to give this a five. Um, not only was it a fantastic story, but like all the tra- it was actually pretty hard to find some bad tradecraft. Um, and I, I just there was a lot going on. And even if you're not really into spy movies, or if you have a friend that isn't, this would be something they would like because it's not confusing at all. Um, there is a lot of moving parts, but it, it all gets explained really well. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna thousand percent agree with you on that. It's it's complicated but clear, right? And even in its clarity, it still is smart enough written to leave threads open. You know, and and maybe possibly be a little bit open to interpretation, but not in a way that, uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of endings at the end of the show that you would have said, okay, I get it, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> or I'm mostly certain I do, but not one where like there's an ending where you're like, okay, I need to watch this again to figure out what the what the hell had just happened. Um, right. <laughs> but I, I do consider it rewatchable. And I, I do think it's a I do think it's a pretty good I think the genius here is I, I really do think people that are super into spy geeky stuff will enjoy it just as much as people that don't give a shit about that stuff because like the human drama is, is pretty good and things are things are explained and 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 without a lot of heavy exposition either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the end, I'm going to keep it cool with a four. Any reasons why was there something missing? I don't think, no, I don't think there's anything missing. I, I just think, uh, there just might be like, not quite the exact, I mean, I gave a four to day of the jackal. I love that. Like, you know, my five uh-huh. territory goes up into just, you know, just some specialized stuff that just really like jack me off. My fives are, uh, uh, you know, Garrick, the Deep Space Nine, because I love Star Trek, and and it's my mm-hmm. favorite. He's my favorite character in my favorite Star Trek series. Right. Um, maybe I was a little too hot on Ronan, but there was a time in my life when it was definitely a five. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm a super huge born Jason Bourne guy. You know, I just, I just, I just can't get to, I can't get to five with Pine Gap. But you know, hopefully, I mean, I think a four is pretty pretty respectable you know right not, not, throwing, <laughs> not throwing shade on this show and uh right. and i i feel like it's nice i can recommend it to anyone i really can and i did i recommended yeah. it to all my family and stuff i, I think my yeah i've been telling everybody about it supposed to watch it um uh best and worst trade craft my my number three best trade craft uh was eloise throwing shade on moses it was very well played for a very uh solid werewolf uh, my number two best trade craft was Rudy's um, counterintelligence game. I, I really liked that even though he had initial thoughts, he, he still went through the process. Um, and my number one best trade craft was uh, Jalin uh, seducing Ethan's wife. Um, I think I think that was a good play to kind of get in on a high level. My number three best, uh, you know, is just kind of an example piece. Uh, to kind of showcase and and give kudos to the overall levels of like deep analysis that we see 
going on in the show, but uh, especially just watching them trace back through old data to connect dots of, you know, well, what was going on 17 months ago from your desk? Okay, well, then in that case, if you found something, then over to you, what was going on 17 months ago on your desk? And if what you find there is going to tell us to look somewhere else, it's just fucking just great stuff. Number two best, I'm super with you, Uh, you know, Rudy's play in the werewolf game. And uh, number one, routing the leak through Emmy is uh, super smart. Over in the worst, yeah, yeah, over in the worst tradecraft, you know, okay, that tablet thing. And, and the, you know, my questions about this air gap stuff, like uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little messy, but the tablet, like the fact that for some reason, it's not clear to me, like the only way Ethan can, you know, get an alert that someone's fucking with the virus is like on this specific one tablet. Uh, right. <laughs> how, how do you do that? How do, how do you even do that? And you can't do it in a way that it could separately send the message to all three of their tablets. Doesn't make sense. Number right. two, you know, that the leak was questionably valuable enough to, if you like that virus is so fucking valuable. Like when you have access to that kind of information, you don't give the enemy any any reason to suspect that you have it actually i remember now that's why i switched that and made that my number one and my old number my original number one is coming back to number two and that's um also relates to the the strategic value of the virus but as viewed from the opposite team uh when they find out about the virus i think it's a big enough threat that they should have been much more aggressive and uh you know not worried so much about spooking the traitor uh but just like shut that shut that shit down right <laughs> uh my number three worst tradecraft was simon selling the video like he wouldn't get caught uh number two worst tradecraft was yaz and gus sharing secrets it, it compromises them both you know what i mean <clears throat> I, for the story it's really important because if they didn't a lot of things wouldn't have played out the way they did uh but it concerns me, especially if you're going to like be crossing different agencies and having a relationship, you know, it should be kind of understood that there's some things you can't talk about. Um, and uh, it, it puts them both kind of in danger professionally as well as, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know that they should have gone through that. My number one worst tradecraft was Ethan ignoring his wife. I'm sure he's gone through some amount and has experience of who gets targeted and where enemy intelligence agencies would go after. So I I would think that he would put a little bit more time, even though I know he's got a very important job. I'm a little surprised they don't have people out there following uh, Zhao Lin around. You know, I was thinking that too, and we didn't really get to talk about that. Um, yeah, you would you would think. I mean, especially Ethan, with the Ethan big... certainly sounded super suspicious of him. Yeah, and he he started following him himself to go like uh, the driving range when he spotted him talking to uh, the the native guy about their plans. How so clearly he was on to something. You would think that what is it, Asus? Yeah, would be on them. Yeah, you or, would think well, that they would have somebody watching them. Yeah, or the CIA because Ethan was like super. 
Ethan was like super nervous about Chinese guy land deal, you know? Right, exactly. And, you know, he could have said something to that woman from Langley. Like, hey, uh, you might want to get some tabs on this guy. Um, yeah, my spy points. So here's my idea. <laughs> so so that, that gives me the idea for a movie, which I don't think we've seen yet. Like, uh, in this movie, we'll basically take the characters we've got. Like, uh, Ethan... You get an Ethan character that's suspicious of, like, a foreign national kind of guy and is thinking, like, this guy, this guy, you know, could be a spy. He could be looking for some way to, like, you know, get into our secrets. And so what he does is he puts some guys on the case and they start following dude around. And when they come back to him, they've got a very interesting story to tell. They tell him, (laughs) hey... You know what? You really might be right, because that guy is sleeping with your wife, right? <laughs> at which point, at which point, you could—I mean, I think someone could make a really good script of that. Because what do you do there? Do you immediately like confront your wife, or does it now become like a, uh, like a you know triple cat and mouse fucking game of like you know right. secrets and trying to <laughs> like out the dude, something, something like that? It'd be cool, yeah. right? I think that'd be really cool. I'd be very happy to see something like that. If a movie like that exists, someone let us know. And we'll cover it on the show. We'll we'll add it to the never-ending list. (laughs) All right, let's get to park benches. Despite all the realism, I think that, like, I'll restate it. The single biggest knock on the show is how much different crap is happening all in the same week. Like... (laughs) <laughs> if, if, like if you're gonna I think if you're gonna be really um, you know uh, objective about it like it massively stretches disbelief even though each of the individual stories I think is a five so that's 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 the trick that I have to pull off this what do you think do you think we knock um, it down for just having too much <laughs> Well, I mean, despite a lot of the realism, I mean, I think in a real life crisis moment, you know, I'm sure there's like ebbs and flows in how critical moments get. Uh, but I would think there's a lot of things going on when there's something big going on, like a trade negotiation. Um, so I, I would presume something like a facility like this would have all kinds of stuff going on. I don't know if you're going to have. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I presume this all would come fall into place. There's probably a lot of moving parts often in this level of like intelligence. But I agree with you. I don't know that we could really give this a five, uh, just because I think there were some quibbles that we had. Yeah, I also, you know, you know I'm I'm rethinking too. Like, you know, just uh, let's see. I think the virus is. I mean, and maybe this is just me and and. You know, we don't have to be in perfect agreement on these things. But, you know, to me, the virus is a way bigger threat than the traitor. I'm in agreement with Kath's husband. Like, you should have burnt it all down and shut everything down until you rooted that fucking thing out and and not take chances with it. Um, mm. And and the leak, which seems so important to the characters, like, it just doesn't satisfy me at the end. Another thing to factor in, you know, but here's, I think here's like, 
you know, there are those things, which those alone, I think, take it down to a 4.5. Maybe a, no, those would take it down to a four if it was a simpler story. But we also have a thing where, like, we rate, we give our star ratings not just on quality of tradecraft that we see, but also quantity. Um, there's certain shows or movies that we've, you know, lowered it down. Like Argo is a good example. Argo, we have no complaints about the tradecraft in the movie. We just didn't get to see as much as we liked. Yeah. Um, in here, we get to see, whoa, as much as we want. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all pretty damn good. Yeah. So maybe between those, I don't know. Do we, do I, I think, I think it I, goes down I, to a four because of some of the questions, but then maybe just, comes back to a 4.5 just because of just how much good shit there is. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in agreement with the 4.5 because there's so much that we're given. You can't knock them all out of the park and tell like such a riveting story that they did. Uh, so I, I think I feel comfortable at a 4.5 as well. 4.5 park benches for Pine Gap. Go see it. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.